0: The political situation is so tenuous, a Christian has to be very careful how they witness for the Lord. The same in Liberia, where the Reverend De Canio has a radio station, and he has to be very careful how he conducts that ministry. And there, they could shut him down. They could tell him, you can't do this. And so in the world, there is an hostility against the people of God. In the political realm, likewise, in the LGBTQ agenda, there is this spirit of animosity against the witness of the gospel. And this is becoming... Welcome again to Let the Bible Speak. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. We're continuing in the message of 1 John chapter 3. And the great text, of course, is Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the children of God. This is amazing and wonderful, that sinners guilty sons of Adam, who have broken God's law, rebelled against God's name and nature, that they are born again and brought into God's family. Can you believe that? After our hymn, Jesus, Lover of My Soul, we will go straight into the message. 1 John 3 on who makes us to be born again. John was an old man. He was carried into the meetings, and he was famous for saying, little children love one another. And he kept saying it over and over and over. And when he was asked, John, why do you keep saying this? And he said, because it is the command of the Lord. And when that is done, all is done. That's when we are serving the Lord and serving his church. And this was indeed the Lord's command, as John recorded in his gospel. John 13, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. And really, in 1 John three eleven, John is restating this. This is the message that we have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Now, the Lord demonstrated this in a very powerful way, because when he was gathered with his disciples, he took a towel and a basin of water and began to wash the disciples' feet. Now, in Israel, when people walked the dusty roads in sandals, feet got very messy. They sweated, the clay and dust stuck to their feet. And when they would walk in through the door of where they were visiting, they really felt uncomfortable that way. And so it was quite common for a host to offer a way of washing the visitor's feet, supplying the water, supplying a towel. But in this case, the Lord got down and he washed his own disciples' feet. And in that was a tremendous display of love and service to the people of God. Now, the Lord did not institute that in church fellowship, we should wash one another's feet. And through the history of the Christian church, that was never taken that way. Now, there are some extreme groups, and they do take it that way, and they literally practice when you come along to a church meeting, you get your feet washed. Now, it's very different today when you step out of a modern car, and you walk up a paved driveway, and you've got nice shoes and socks, your feet are no no way the same as in the days of the disciples. But when the Lord washed those disciples' feet, it was a display of love and service. And he gave that example that we should love one another. We know that we have passed from death. Let's go to verse 14, chapter 3, 14. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. In other words, if you're out to wound, offend your brother, drive him away, you're doing the devil's work. If you serve, encourage, build up, and seek to assist your brother, then you are like the Lord Jesus in your service. Now, John brought in Cain and Abel in this passage, and we know that Cain slew Abel. Why did he hate Abel so much? Why did there well up in in, in Cain's heart this animosity against his own brother? We know it's because Abel worshiped God, his worship was accepted. Cain was not. And there became a root of bitterness that grew into hatred and then to murder. And of course, the world has this persecuting spirit against the child of God. And that can happen where people lose their love, turns to bitterness, and then it turns to acts to drive them away. And around the world tonight, There are cultures and peoples where Christians are persecuted, where people of God are hated, even to the point where they drive them out because of this hatred that is in their hearts. Now, that is true, and I'm thinking of our own missionaries in various parts of the world. It's true in Nepal. In Nepal today, it is a crime to evangelize. It's a crime to tell someone that you need Christ in your heart and you need to be saved. In Kenya, where we have missionaries, in Uganda, the political situation is so tenuous that a Christian has to be very careful how they witness for the Lord. The same in Liberia, where the Reverend Decanio has a radio station, and he has to be very careful how he conducts that ministry and they could shut them down. They could tell them, you can't do this. And so, in the world, there is an hostility against the people of God. In the political realm, likewise, in the LGBTQ agenda, there is this spirit of animosity against the witness of the gospel. And this is becoming the red line of toleration or no Toleration. And this makes Christian love and Christian fellowship all the more important. When you walk through the door of this church, this is to be your sanctuary from the world, the place where you are built up in your faith, where you may express your delight in the Lord, where you may sing your head off in the praises of our God, where you will feel at home, where you come amongst those who are your brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus. Now, how far should this Christian fellowship go? What limits are put upon it? Let's go down to chapter 3 and verse 16. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. When Paul the Apostle taught husbands to love their wives, what was the limit? Husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church, that he gave his life for her. There's no limit. And here John is saying, chapter three, sixteen, that just as the Lord has laid down his life for us, we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. There should be no task too much. There should be no time that you're not willing to sacrifice. There should be no limit to the extent to which you will go to encourage, to assist, and build up a fellow brother and sister in the Lord. You're to be known as one who are willing to lay down your life that you might demonstrate the love of Christ to those around you. Paul said, let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus, who thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but took upon himself the form of a servant. As Christians, we're to serve. And it begins by serving one another. But it has to be genuine. It has to be from the heart. And it has to be our attitude as a Christian. Now, we'll come to this in our final point tonight as we move down to verse 18. John, he really presses the issue of reality and genuineness. My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. This is the true nature, the true fashion, not just empty words or platitudes, but in real ways of demonstrating Christian love. It might be you going to someone and asking, how can I pray for you? How can I encourage you in the Lord? It might be, I hope I'm not a hindrance to you in your Christian life. And the born-again Christian has a much more acute conscience that is alive unto God and to have hearts that minister truth to us. That's what this is all about. And you'll see down there in verse 21, it shows that the proof of a new nature is that our own hearts condemn us not. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. And so we know there's an inner voice. There's a conscience. There's that witness within. And maybe it's a witness that we have grieved someone or grieved the Lord. And we need to put that right. Now, down in verse 21, it shows the the proof of a new nature, that our hearts do not condemn us. And we do those things that are pleasing in God's sight. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of Him because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. And in that, there's the very witness of the Spirit of God. And you'll see there In verse 23, and this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. Those are the two things. Believe on our Lord Jesus and display our love to one another. And all of this adds up to proof that we are born of God because the old nature doesn't want to do this. The carnal, unconverted soul does not want to use the name of the Lord Jesus, and be a witness for him. And the carnal worldly person does not want to serve, but rather wants to be served. And so these are evidences of our conversion, of our new birth, of the fruit of a new nature. Now, the ultimate proof you will find in verse 24 uh, is our Christians, not just that we abide in the Lord— But that he abides in us, and he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him. And hereby we know that he abideth in us by the Spirit which he has given us. And so in every convert, in every born-again soul, the Holy Spirit comes in to dwell. And this new fruit, this loving our Lord Jesus... Loving our brethren will be the new nature flowing out, and it's not just a change of leaves and branches, but it's a change of root and of nature. And you can know tonight that you're a Christian because you love the Lord and you love His people. You want to be among His people. You want to promote His people. You want to encourage His people. You want to be a part of serving the Lord. Now, there was a Sunday school teacher, and she counseled a little girl about that text in the Bible, John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 12. And that is, uh, well, let me turn to it here in case I uh, mix it up in my quoting of it. John's Gospel, chapter 1, and verse 12. It's a very well-known verse, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Now, this teacher wisely showed the verse and asked the girl what it meant. And the girl prayed over this promise. The teacher asked, what does this now mean? And the girl said, it means that I am saved. How do you know, the teacher said. And the girl pointed to the verse with her finger and then to her heart. And she said, I know it by this verse in the Bible, and I know it in my heart. And that was good. That was because there is the experience that goes along with the power of the gospel within our hearts. And what a wonderful thing to have this blessed assurance. And this assurance motivates us to serve the Lord wherever we can. Golden Gate Bridge down in San Francisco was built many years ago, and when it was built, it was the longest span in the world at that time. But in the first half of the building of that bridge, 23 men fell to their death. It was a dangerous, dangerous adventure. And so they halted the work, and they spent $100,000 putting in a safety net so that if anyone should fall, they would be saved from falling to their death. And it said that it saved 10 men's lives in the second half of the building of that bridge. But also, the work went on faster, because when men felt safe, they could give themselves more to the work. And that's what assurance of salvation does in your heart and mind when we know that we are in Christ and are sure of our salvation, it doesn't make us lazy. It doesn't make us slack. It doesn't make us worldly. But rather, that assurance motivates us to serve all the more, to live all the more, hating sin and living more and more unto righteousness. And so it's a great thing for a Christian to have this blessed assurance. And that assurance comes, as we have learned tonight, by enjoying this love of God. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. This comes when we love our brothers and sisters in Christ. Not just in word, but in deed and in truth. Now, I want you to pray about something tonight when we close the meeting. I want you to pray about a way by which you can prove your salvation by ministering to a brother or sister in Christ this week. This week, to do something, to enter into some ministry of encouragement, some deed, some act, some words, genuine words, of course, whereby you can prove That you're born of God because you love, you love your brothers, you love the people of God and want to serve them. Now, you're not called to wash feet, but you are called to humbly serve God's people in whatever way it it could be. Someone that's sick, someone that's cast down, someone that just needs a little encouragement. And John, when he wrote this epistle, when he talked about loving the brethren, he didn't limit it to save people but to others beyond the church that need the gospel. And surely you know someone that needs the gospel and needs to know there's a way back to God. You can be that messenger to them in the week to come. So let's unite in prayer for a moment and ask the Lord to guide us. I will include myself in this, that we might by some means find a way to serve one another. O God, our Father, We come in prayer this evening in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus. And we ask that you will write these things on every one of our hearts. Lord, you have given us a wonderful salvation. And you have given us a wonderful assurance. You have not left us in the dark. You have not left us in a state of purgatory of mind. But you have given us this blessed assurance. Now, Lord, I pray that you will bring to us ways and means, that we may serve one another, that we will go forth with the gospel, and that we will be your instruments to serve. And by this, all men will know that we are thy disciples. Use us, O Lord, we pray, and go before us as we seek to serve thee. This we plead, we pray, and ask in the mighty name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. You are listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio broadcast of the Free Presbyterian Church in Canada. This is Ian Golliher, once more calling all Canadians back to the Bible. We lament the sins of Canada. From coast to coast and north to south, this country has lost its moral compass. We are told that there is no longer any right or wrong. We are being told that everyone is free to say, do and live as they please. They even say that this is enshrined in the Bill of Human Rights. What a lie this is. It is a double standard. Our young people grow up being told this lie that there is no right and wrong. They then get into trouble and they find that in Canada there is a criminal code there is a court system, and there are jails for offenders. Sadly, many deluded young men and women end up spending the best years of their lives behind bars and come out with criminal records that no employer would even begin to consider them for employment. These young offenders are left on the fringe of society. They are a prey to alcohol addiction drug addiction and crime. It's all they have ahead of them. They have gone from healthy, hopeful young lives to misery and early death, all because they were told in youth, there is no right and wrong. At the root of this lie is the greater lie that God doesn't care about sin, for He is not there to see, nor will He visit men for their sins. Read Ezekiel chapter 9, verse 9, and you'll soon learn that Israel went headlong into grievous sin, shutting God out of their lives. The people said that God was not there to see their abominations. And Ezekiel 9, 9 says, Then said he unto them, The iniquity of the house of Israel and Judah is exceeding great, and the land is full of blood and the city full of perverseness. For they say, The Lord hath forsaken the earth, and the Lord seeth not. Dear friend, you need to waken up to the fact that God is there and everywhere, and God does see your sins. This word from God is a warning to awaken out of our stupor that is bringing greater and greater condemnation upon your soul. A long-term prisoner after his release from jail was asked, what was the worst part of life in jail? He said, knowing that the guard was always watching him through the peephole in the door. God sees sin. God hates sin. God will never tolerate sin. God will always judge sin. Indeed, the Bible is clear that God always judges sin. Another way of saying this is that sin has consequences, sure and certain consequences. Think of what happened to Judah and Israel. God raised up a heathen army to besiege the city of Jerusalem, then to break up the city in great bloodshed, then to carry away the people, men, women, and children into Babylonian captivity. Many of them lived and died in that captivity. This notion that God will never judge a people's sins because he is a God of love is wrong. It is deceptive, and it puts societies like Canada to sleep in their sins. Waken up, I say, to hear the truth. The Bible says, Job thirty-six eighteen, "'Because there is wrath, beware lest he take thee away with his stroke.'" Then a great ransom cannot deliver thee. The gospel answer is that while God will always judge sin, he will judge sin either in the person of the guilty sinner or the person of his Son, the substitute for sinners who bears our sins for us when we believe the message of the gospel. This is the hope for all Canadians even those whose lives have been wrecked by sin. Jesus is the Savior that men need. Jesus is the substitute and Savior of all who call upon him. On the cross, he bore our sins for us. On the cross, he finished the work of salvation so that guilty sinners can be saved in full and eternally. Do you believe this gospel? Will you go to Christ today? To save you from your sins, there is the good news for your soul. You are listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio broadcast of the Free Presbyterian Church in Canada. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. If you missed part of today's program or would like to hear it again, you can find it archived by program date on our website. Just go to Or if you would like to talk with me one on one as a pastor, please give me a call. The phone number is 604-897-2040. The mailing address is 1879058 Avenue, Surrey, BC V3S 1M6. We're located just two blocks north of Number 10 Highway